Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Tuesday, March 8th. I'm Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics. I'm Philip Wegman, White House correspondent for Real Clear Politics. Good morning, Phil. Good morning. We got news this morning um, via Bloomberg that uh, that the president is, in fact, going to move to ban imports of Russian oil. Uh, this was has been a big debate that's been going on over the last few weeks. The administration seems sort of hesitant to do it. Congress seemed to force the president's hand on this. Um, what is what's the perspective from the White House? Why did they why did they decide to do this? And what does it mean, uh, particularly for American consumers? I think what the White House feels is that we're is that they were backed into a, a corner on this. You had House Speaker Nancy Pelosi during a press conference say that banning Russian oil was a, a no-brainer. She was asked, should we do this? And she responded, yeah, absolutely. Um, it took a while for the White House to catch up. And that's been in line with their overall strategy thus far, um, from the first tranche of sanctions uh, to the targeting of Russian oligarchs and elites uh, and their families, specifically now to this Russian oil ban. The White House has been moving methodically. They haven't turned the pressure up all at once. They've sort of eased into it. And now uh, Russia is going to feel the, the combined pain of all of that. Well, it turns out, though, uh, when you ban Russian oil and you don't increase domestic production, consumers are also going to be feeling uh, some pain at the pump. Well, and I was going to ask you about that. There is some speculation that this move might be paired with some sort of order from the administration to increase domestic production, uh, you know, take back some of those leases that they they nullified, uh, you know, early in the administration. Do we expect to see some move like that? I mean, gas hit an all time high uh, this morning and without increased domestic production, as you point out, uh, that's only going to go higher. And we are, what, eight months away from a midterm election? I really doubt that we see Biden move on this. Uh, I think that he has sort of set out his position going back to the executive order that he signed early on in his administration uh, that put the kibosh on any new uh, leasing for, for oil production because, you know, he, he has progressives uh, by the tail on this. I mean, he knows that um, this, this energy initiative, uh, this green energy uh, push by the left is something that they're serious about. He can't deliver on the Green New Deal, uh, but at least he can stop new drilling. I think that's the mindset. Uh, but if you ask the White House this question um, about you know increasing domestic production, they will basically turn it back on the oil and gas industry and say, well, wait a minute, they have all sorts of uh, leasing for public land already. Why don't they do uh, the most with that uh, already? Why aren't they making you know the most of what they've been given? And we heard from Jen Psaki the other day, who made an interesting argument. She said that now uh, we are already producing more oil domestically than we were during Donald Trump's first year in office. So obviously, um, it's not a, a complete comparison, but I think they will feel pressure. And White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, just yesterday, when she was pressed on this question, she sort of turned it around and claimed that the Biden administration had seen an increase in domestic oil production higher than even the uh, the first year of Donald Trump's presidency. Obviously, that's not a complete comparison, but I would expect the Biden administration from here on out, between here and the midterms, to continue to put pressure on uh, domestic oil manufacturers to produce more uh, and sort of put the onus on them while ignoring the fact that we're seeking to import oil from 
uh, some pretty unfriendly regimes, even as we put the squeeze on Russia. Do you think, Phil, that that's going to work? I mean, Jen Psaki, as you mentioned, she went back and forth with Peter Ducey on this yesterday, and she's done it before. She said, look, listen, there are 9,000 oil leases right now that are being unused. So you better ask the oil companies what they're doing. The other argument that she made, uh, has made repeatedly, is that Whatever pain Americans are feeling at the pump, it is not Biden's fault. It is Putin's fault because he's the one who invaded Ukraine. And therefore, you know, we've been forced to, to take these measures. Do, will either of those arguments resonate with the American people? Do you think they'll accept them as they go to the pump and pay, you know, perhaps five, six, seven dollars a gallon? I think they might accept these new prices if they're a blip on the radar, if this is something that happens for you know a week or two. But if we see five, six dollar gas stretching into the summer, it's a completely different ballgame. The argument that Saki and the White House make, though, where they try to shift some blame towards Putin on these increased gas prices, I don't think anyone's going to be fooled. Um, certainly, there has been an increase since the invasion of Ukraine. But that doesn't account for the change that we saw in the uh, price of a gallon of gas from day one of the Biden administration to right before uh, the Russians invaded. Prices were trending up, not down. And I think that consumers know that. One last question, Phil. Uh, post State of the Union, if you look at our real clear politics average of Joe Biden's job approval rating, he's actually gotten a little bit of a bounce up from around 40.6% uh, approval that was the day before the State of the Union. I think as of this morning, he's at about 42. And his disapproval rating has uh, come down from up around 44 and a half, 54 and a half, down to about 52. So uh, a slight improvement for Biden in the short term. Whether that is sustainable or not, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But what's the White House's sense of, of you know, the bump that they've gotten, as small as it might be, given the president's speech, given the sort of idea that there was going to possibly be a, a rally around the president effect from uh, the invasion, uh, the Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They're, they're loving the uh, post State of the Union glow. And I was, it's funny, I was talking to a uh, well-known GOP official who sort of admitted that it was a good speech. Uh, they just wish that Biden would have delivered it, uh, not you know, last week, but last April at the beginning of his presidency. And I think that what the president did in that speech was really clever. He basically took the three gripes that the GOP continues to make on uh, the funding of the police, on on COVID, uh, on the border. And he sort of, he, he, he pivoted a little bit on each of them. And he said, no, I don't support defunding the police, fund them. Um, you know, on the border, we need to uh, secure our, our southern border and fix the immigration system. And on COVID, oh, well, we need to stop being at each other's throats and sort of relax things. That's a message that plays really well. I think that a lot of um, centrists and moderates can get behind it. Uh, but it is a change from where uh, this administration was, you know, months, if not weeks ago. And it was interesting that some of Biden's biggest applause lines were from Democrats for things that they previously had held uh, sacrosanct. So we'll see if that pivot can um, maybe stem some of the bleeding uh, ahead of November. But in order to really you know, sustain that bump in the polls, I imagine that the president would have to um, not just speak those words, uh, but put some action behind, behind them as well. All right. We will leave it there for this morning. For Phil Wegman, I'm Tom Bevan, co-founder president of Real Clear Politics. This has been the RCP Takeaway for Tuesday, March 8th. Mm -hmm.